0: So um, I've been trying to put my slides together for the last couple of days, and, and I wanted to make the core discussion about credit and credit risk management. And so that's the that's the connective tissue. But I also want to weave in um, a, a couple of things about being a responsible investor. Because most of us in the room think that responsible investing is still a soft issue. In fact, I was just at the CFA conference in Frankfurt, and there's a whole lot of focus on some of these things, being responsible, sustainable, developmental, um, behavioral finance. is still seen as a soft, soft issue. Nobody has a better adjective than soft issues. What I'm going to try and show you is none of this is soft. This is all just good investment analysis and how that weaves into the credit process. The other sub-theme of that is I am acutely conscious that in the room are an awful lot of my competitors, direct competitors, and I'm going to be remarkably open about our investment process today because actually in the world of credit, if we don't start working together, we're going to lose all our clients' money. We have to stop being adversaries, working against each other, seeing everybody else propose sort of a power grab and start actually working cooperatively, particularly in the debt capital market. Um, I, you know, the the behavior, for example, I asked Francois the question about African bank, the behavior of the senior lenders in African bank during this whole workout has been absolutely pathetic. Disorganized, uncooperative, unable to work together, unable to engage legal advice, and yeah, we'll get our 90 cents on the Rand, we could have done better, and we didn't. And that's just one example. What's going on in the debt capital market on the sell side uh where they're doing a divide and conquer and i'm going to weave this into the story as well is 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 just disruptive and 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 destructive for our clients so if i have to teach you how to do credit so we can work together i will do that so sorry i do plan to insult everybody in the room today so please don't take it personally (laughs) and for i think francis left is too bad i'm going to stick a knife in his heart as well So why are you listening to me on this topic? Because we manage $146 billion, almost all of it in in bonds and credit fixed interest assets. Um, As a subset of that, we're also a leading investor in developmental investments. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Suffice to say, we run a really big credit process. And notably, my view is debt is a highly specialized business. It isn't like equity. In the equity world. One guy's share is the same as the next guy's share. The MD's shares are the same as the PIC's shares, the same as your individual shares. You have company law protection. In debt, that is not true. It's hugely complex. There's various instruments with terms and conditions, Everybody's negotiating against each other in the debt world. And yet our fees are lower. There's a problem. So again, that's that's my view is. It's a game of scale, which we've achieved, and it's a game of highly specialized business now. Um, I'm going to say later on, and I'll repeat it, is that actually credit work is probably somewhere between 25 and 75% legal work. It's not just financial analysis. Why else are you listening to me on credit? Well, this is why. And I could show you this same picture for any three-year period over the last 15 years probably. I'm probably breaking all sorts of gypsy rules by saying that. Uh, it's certainly, certainly over the last 10 years, and you're going to get the same answer. You're going to find that the, the future growth funds, and I'm going to use these as a template saying, not as marketing, but because I need to give you a, a sample of what we're doing and how we do this, weave these threads together. They're always right here at the top. They're always be- beating the heck out of the all bond index and the competitors. And that's not to say we're geniuses. We're clearly doing something different. Even our own core bond fund is right in the middle of the pack, right? What's going on here is something different. It's a different kind of credit process, and that's what I want to, I want to use those principles to, to talk about what is credit risk and how you manage it and how you get the right returns. By the way, when you, when you have a performance record like that for 10 years, you don't actually have to wear shoes to presentations or ties. It's a very nice thing. I encourage you all to have excellent performance so you can relax. Okay, so here's, here's, here's a core credit strategy. And, and much of this shouldn't be new except A, diversity. You must build diverse funds. It doesn't, a concentrated credit risk funds eventually blow up. You can look at the history of, of credit hedge funds in South Africa. Give them a couple of years, they always blow up because they run credit aggressive credit funds like private equity funds with big concentrated bets. One goes wrong, they're out of business. Diversity is core to any credit fund. Independent credit analysis, i.e., don't use ratings. OK, read the ratings, fine. It's, an, it's a set of eyes on the analysis. Wonderful. You read the credit ratings report. They are not decision tools. They are not fiduciaries. Uh, you know that now. We were saying it in 1998, Nobody <laughs> we wanted to listen then. Okay. Price for risk. And, and this is how you do price for credit risk. I'm going to spend a few minutes on that. And finally, negotiating for rates, covenants, terms, and security. Embedded in all of this is being a responsible investor, thinking about ESG factors, thinking about sustainability of the business you invest in, how they govern themselves and such. So diversity, this is an actual portfolio, this is actually one side of two of an actual yield enhanced bond fund, the one that was at the top of the table there in performance. And what you see is why diversity? That's, that's, that's it. You're not seeing big, chunky exposures, except for government bonds, 17% in government bonds. There is a risk stabilizer, there's a liquidity asset if you need to meet flows. Uh, please don't, Tracy, don't write down every asset holding, I see you. <laughs> um, That's that's a nice, diverse portfolio, but you're not seeing big, chunky risks. And and what I will tell you about this portfolio is its average yield over the all bond index today is about 240 basis points. You take take each individual instrument, its yield pickup over its relevant government bond, you average that out about 240 points. What that means is that we can have a default in this portfolio, lose 2.4% of the fund. What's on this slide, okay? Development Bank of South Africa, 2.41%. DBSA can go bust tomorrow, we can lose all that money, low probability event. And we're still going to beat the all bond index, unless we also get our interest rate call wrong. But that's another discussion. OK, that's what diversity does in a bond fund. It's, it's core. However, headline, diversity is a necessary but not sufficient condition. A diversified pile of rubbish is a pile of rubbish. That's what we learned in the great financial crisis, right? All the housing loans. You have to have a credit process. And the asset managers get this wrong. Oh no, just buy everything. Diversity. I need I'll buy that asset at whatever price, just for diversity. No, no, you must price for risk. No, you must avoid bad credits. Okay. Here's one of the transactions. Developmental, funding taxi drivers to buy their own taxis. Um, with session of the vehicles, of the receivables book over the taxis, um, you know, when, when the, the drivers bought the vehicles, they had to put in 40 cents on every rand, uh, so sort of a 60% LTV. They had to install a satellite tracking device, so if they didn't pay, the lender could turn on the tracker and repossess the taxi. So good credit work, charge the full rate, have sessions and securities, warranties and covenants, unlisted asset. Um, now grown into, I don't know, probably a 3 billion rand book over the last 10 years. We were the initial funder. And many of you in the room now have this asset because it's rolled out to be much bigger than we could manage, and that's great. So so the point is you can integrate SMME finance, transport infrastructure, black ownership of businesses, and still earn the right returns with the right conditions. That is If you take away nothing else, say that is doable. And that is doable in the corporate bond market as well. You can do the right thing in the right way, earn the right returns for the right risks by applying a bit of effort. That happens to be a good news story or happy story. This is the second slide. The thing I like about this set of slides, and one of the points I want to make is transparency about this. This is every credit exposure in this portfolio. And, and I want to make a sub point about the, the, way, uh, the, the treatment of credit derivatives. Uh, many of you will know what a CLN is. You make a deposit at, say, Standard Bank, but actually if, um, I don't know, Imperial goes bust, you lose the money. Now, to me, in my world, that means you have two risks. Standard bank can go bust, you could lose the money, because they've got your money, or, or, or who did I say? Telecom? Yeah. I, Imperial, whatever. Choose your corporate. Imperial goes bust, you lose the money. You could lose two ways. Well, I don't know what the regulations currently say, because it's, it's a bit vague, but we count that twice. And that's how you should do it. That is correct. You have two credit risks. You should count them twice, and you should price for them both. Again, that's, it's a mistake asset managers make. So I'm arguing that even if you're doing developmental investing, you should earn the right returns. You should charge as much as you possibly can get away with because you're managing people's pension funds. So, And by the way, make no mistake, anything I say today doesn't change that principle. We're all about returns. right? But if, you, if I'm demanding commercial returns, then is the investment really developmental? If I'm funding a toll road at a full commercial rate, is it a developmental investment? Well, of course it is, <laughs> it's a toll road. It wouldn't have gotten funded necessarily otherwise. You're applying effort to get SA Taxi off the ground so they can fund a multi 1000000000 rand book. So yes, of course it's developmental. It's developmental in a different way. And we can work with the development finance institutions. In the case of, of Tuff in, in inner city Johannesburg, many of you will know, by the way, uh, you're going to find out the banks are always the bad guy in all my stories. It's always the banks that won't do stuff. They wouldn't fund the taxi drivers. It was the banks that redlined downtown Joburg when it was when it was going downhill and refused to lend. So you had buildings being invaded by by gangsters, right? Right. I mean, and you saw what happened in downtown Joburg. You get these nice nice old buildings, and you had sort of the the prostitutes working the first floor, and the gangs on the second floor, uh, and the drug lords on the third floor, and it was all rat infested. Nobody was paying their rates. And the banks wouldn't lend anybody to buy that building and fix it. Well, Tuff did that. Tuff was set up to turn that into proper low income affordable housing. Commercial rates. We charge a full commercial rates. And the development finance institutions took the subordinated debt and the equity tranches that gave us enough security. So our, the LTV on these loans was quite low to us. If it went bust, we were going to collect a whole portfolio of buildings in Joburg. I don't want them, but security is net, net good. So so this is is the same yield enhanced bond fund. Again, I'm trying to weave together a picture that you can do the right thing in the right way. This is a yield enhanced bond fund. This fund has no developmental mandate. The clients don't buy it for development, but lo and behold, they're getting 50% of this fund, roughly, I can't see the number. 50% of this fund is non-developmental. By inference, that's government bonds, bank deposits, imperial, whatever. The rest of it is developmental. These clients are getting half of their money invested in developmental investments, even though they didn't ask for it. In fact, they don't pay for that process. Okay? And you could drill into that, by the way, the infrastructure, the infrastructure, the big blue bubble, you could drill into what infrastructure is, transport, water, and etc. cetera. So let's make it real. Uh, no, let's not make it real. Let's talk high level first. Sorry, I've got my next slide. This is the real thing. ESG, big buzzword environmental, social, and governance factors, ESG screening, assessing companies' governance, looking what their impact might be on the environment. It's very buzzwordy. It's been buzzwordy for a decade, guys. It's in the investment process. If you aren't doing it already, you are so far behind the curve, it's actually a bit embarrassing. The CFA Institute wrote a manual about eight years ago called ESG Factors for Institutional Investors. Eight years ago, and the CFA Institute, so you know they were five years behind reality. So guys, please, ESG is passé. So let's go further. Really, what ESG is. Is, is an additional set of factors you must do when you analyze any company. You have to analyze their financial, their operational, strategic, their market and competitive positioning. You must always do that. That's normal in that best analysis, whether you're doing credit or equity. I wanted to come up with a really good acronym that would be buzzwordy, you know, something you could really sink your teeth into. But I challenge anybody to take those letters and make a decent acronym. <laughs> OK, you get the gist. This is not something foreign, remote, and new. This is integral to investment analysis. Then there's the external manifestation of being a responsible investor. It's how we engage with the industry, whether it's through, through working with a CISA. what I've argued at the beginning of this presentation, we'll argue throughout that we must work together to improve terms for our investor clients, whether we work on capital market regulation, placement processes, uh, DMTN programs, uh, the trading platform of government bonds, which is a shambles, by the way. Um, it's, a, it's a screw job every day, you don't even know it. It's like you put your stake in the microwave and when you get it back, somebody's eaten 5% of your steak. Right? You, just don't, you don't want to know the microwave works. Well, it doesn't. I don't know if that analogy works for you guys. Um, anyway, pricing, there's no mark to market. The, the market is a mess. And we're not working together to fix it. But to me, this is part of being a responsible investor that we all must embrace. So now let's make it real. ESG screening. Many of you know about what happened with First Strut a few years ago. Well not a few years ago, I think it was last year, uh, 2014. They went bust. Uh, a diversified quasi-industrial company doing various kinds of infrastructure businesses. Uh, and they put out a listed bond. I think it was a officially rated triple B or triple B plus. Uh, and it turned out to have been a complete fraud, shambolic fraud. I mean, utter, complete voodoo financial statements. I mean, the money is gone. And Noshi, the chief executive, who was also the chief financial officer, by the way, woo, 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 OK? Right. He, he he died. You see, he got shot in the face, so he was unrecognizable, and his body was cremated like three days later. But he's dead. With the billion rand missing. Okay, so so the point the point is that ESG screening, governance screening, is important. So what? So so Futures put this to our credit process, and we approved this loan. We were going to buy this bond. Why didn't we? We didn't because we got a little bit lucky. We had a bit of skill. We identified. And we went back to our credit reports, and we checked. We identified some key, key issues that were setting off alarm bells, some, some things that were on our actual checklist for governance factors, and some things that were more heuristics. you know, a feeling, the things you look for to warn you. Small unknown auditing firm. Never heard of them. Turned out later on to have been a big problem. Complex corporate structure, always a warning sign, and credit should be a warning sign for equity investors, by the way. Multiple entities with percent shareholdings and cross loans and things you can never figure out. I challenge any of you to analyze Steinhoff, all right? I challenge you to, it's impossible. They do it on purpose. I'm not saying Steinhoff's a good or bad credit. I'm just telling you, you can't analyze it. I know you can't analyze it. I don't know why you're buying the share, okay? Outdated financials and an unaudited financial model, for this business. Again, all this came up in our credit report and this this conflict between the um, separation of duties where there wasn't any separation of duties. All of that added up to us, actually, when we did our our own internal credit rating, we rated it lower than the market, and we demanded a higher yield. We got outbid. That means the process worked. Okay, if nobody else had bid, I would have gotten the bond. I get it. A bit of luck, a bit of skill, I'll take what I can get. It did work. Governance screening actually is important, right? Sorry, this is this this last one, and again, I'm teaching my competitors some tricks here. Key thing to look at, if you see turnover of non-executives on a board of directors, again, it's a big warning bell, particularly people on the audit committee, right? Because, you know, actuaries, CFA charter holders, CAs, we have professional credentials to protect. You go into a business where you, you know, you're on the audit committee of a business, you don't like what you're seeing, you run. It's a great heuristic for credit and for equity, again. So let's talk about pricing. So, we use a six-factor pricing, but it really comes down to the probability of default, the likelihood that somebody won't pay us back, and how much we're going to get back if they do default—the recovery rate. And of course, you have to price for term maturity, and then we do. We also try to price for liquidity, which is which I'm not even going to touch on say It's very complex. Um, we start with the probability of default, and, and I want to be clear: when I talk about ratings, I always mean futures ratings. We do not rely on. I know I've said it, and and but. And I admit, we'll, we're, I'll admit, i even admit to you, we're estimating PDs. So if you look at the single A, I, sorry, guys, I know I'm over here. If you look at the single A line in the middle, you see that FutureGo says that if something has roughly a 0.8% chance, 0.9%, these, don't worry about the second decimals. I know you're actuaries and you struggle with that, but these are estimates. <laughs> Between 08 and 1% probably default on a one year view means we rate it as a single A. Okay, That's fine. We can understand that. It's made up, but nobody has any statistics, right? Oh, sorry, the marketing guys say I can't say made up. It's an estimate, okay? But it is an estimate, it's an estimate based on financial statement analysis, the FOSMEZ the, the analysis we do, and we come up with a likely probability we won't get paid back, and we can turn that into a price. But because it's an estimate, it's conservative. Look at Standard & Poor's 30-year data, what they say for a single-A credit is. Probability of default on a single-A credit according to Standard & Poor's, or Moody's, choose your, choose your ratings agent, is .05%. And I'm sorry, if you put 0.05% in your hand, you can't feel it, right? It doesn't exist. If you were to price credit for 0.05% probably default, which is what happened in 2007 and 2008, you would price basically zero basis points. You see the problem. So if you're going to make up number, damn it. If you're going to estimate numbers, <laughs> be conservative, 0.84%, nice juicy number. And then we can turn that into basis points. We can assume, as you see on, on this slide, uh, uh, in this case, we're saying a 25% recovery rate. That is to say, if they default, we'll get back 25 cents on the RAND. And therefore, we can say that a one-year loan to a single A entity, we require 69 basis points just for credit as a minimum. And we go up from there. Okay. And of course, you also add on for liquidity, complexity, co-creditors, uh, and a, various, a bunch of other factors. I'm not showing you a whole pricing model. I'm just giving you an idea that you can do this. You can do this. And we, we, we keep this thing in the background. We, we call this Mavis. You remember Mavis, Tracy? <laughs> we, and she, we think of Mavis, she's a model. She, doesn't, she, doesn't, she won't debate with you. You can't argue with her. She has no, she has no opinion but what the, the, the table says. So we think of her kind of like an actuary. She's not interested in rationality or the market dynamics or supply and demand. She just is with the answer. I think that's a compliment or an insult, I don't know. I'll insult you later, don't worry. (laughs) So anyway, you get the idea. You can turn these things, you can turn governance factors subjectively into risk and into pricing for risk. Here's an interesting deal that went wrong, because I think it's always fun to talk about, default, and we do have this one. Uh, but, but, it's, but it's entertaining. We co-funded with one of the banks um, uh, seven new uh, turboprop uh, airplanes for South African Express Airways for their regional routes. They're very efficient for less than 600 kilometer runs, 10-year uh, lease, brand new planes. If you get on them, they have that nice new airplane smell. It's very nice. Um, in fact, when, the, when it turned out three months, three months after we made the loan, turned out their financial statements were voodoo, almost as, almost as bad as first struts, but not quite fraudulent. Uh, But basically, the auditor, and I don't want to name names (coughs) in conky, uh, did no work for four years, overstated the assets, understated liabilities, overstated the revenues, understated expenses. I think when they did the adjustments, several hundred million rand disappeared from the the equity on the balance sheet. Anyway, so basically, it was a bad loan. But we had done full due diligence, and as always in South Africa, when loans default, it's it's usually some sort of fraud or misrepresentation, let's just say that. So why why am I making light of this? Why am I not worried? It's a state-owned entity. Right? I mean, what's the government going to do, really? It's voodoo financial statements from state agencies. So they, they got, you, we had a pretty good chance they're going to bail out. And if they didn't, and this goes to the essence of credit work, negotiating terms, conditions, covenants, and security, we've got a mortgage bond on the planes. Yes, that's the Future Growth logo. I know that I'm, a, I'm not supposed to brand my presentation, but this is now the new Future Growth Air. I can get you all discount tickets. Okay, I don't have the planes yet, and I'm hoping not to get them, but we do have a mortgage bond in the planes, and we track the resale value in the European market. Okay, so that's good credit work. This is important. This is very important. This is tricking the whole world. It's tricking every pension trustee in the universe. The world, the world has tricked you. You used to have bonds, and you bought bonds because you had long-dated liabilities, and bonds happen to have reasonably predictable cash flows with a certain kind of price stabilization relative to other asset classes that are volatile. You like the non-correlated returns. You like the long cash flows. So you bought bonds. And then one day, you woke up and you realized, actually, somebody conflated an additional asset class onto your nice little bond portfolio, and that's called credit risk. It is two different asset classes. They they were never necessarily meant to be together. Bonds, you buy for one reason. Credit, you get because you just get it. It's in the funds now. So that's important. It's So important that I think we should just stop there. (laughs) We'll go low tech. Bear with me. It's not my keyboard. Let's try this one. Ah, that's good. OK, so we must always separate these two decisions, the, the, the credit um, and the interest rate decision. You want to buy long-dated interest rate exposure? You don't do it by buying long-dated bonds. Now, why do I say that? Um, I say that, uh, well, first let me explain how we do it. We're running a credit portfolio. That means we're lending money to various people who, um, who may or may not pay us back. Well, if you, can't, if you don't know if they're going to pay you back, you don't lend the money for 20 years. Example, you would never lend a retailer money for 20 years. Retail entities disappear, right? But on the other hand, if you're building a power plant, sure, it's a 100 year asset. Lend money to them, to lend money to Eskom or to some of these projects for 20, 30 years. That's fine. Assets must match liabilities. In our portfolio, this is the same portfolio. This is the same portfolio. You can see the physical exposure weight. And this fund benchmarks the all bond index. I'm sorry, guys, over there, but look at the right hand side of the slide. You can see the physical exposure of this portfolio is 36, 48. What's that about 60% is in less than seven year assets and that's in a fund that chases the all bond index long duration target You see we've separated the decision. We use derivatives to get the duration up to where it ought to be and manage our yield curve risk Don't put the two decisions together now I want to make a big hoo-ha out of this because I don't know if David you see the uh, the Mexican the Mexican hundred-year bond That was issued last week. Dave you triggered to see the economist article? You must read the economist article, okay? And they try to figure out how did Mexico sell a hundred-year bond who would lend money to Mexico Really? For 100 years. They even said that Mexico has spent more time in the last 100 years in default and without access to capital markets than they actually spent as a, as a credit-worthy borrower. Right? Who's doing this? I've got one word for you. Actuaries, right? <laughs> this, who, who, else? who else would actually think they're buying the duration and convexity of something that may not even exist? You will have, that, that bond will default at least three times the next 100 years. You will be haircut. 20%, another 20%, another 20%, and yet you are happy to buy you. I'm sorry, guys. I'm not really trying to slap you in the face. But the actuaries who are buying it for their you know, annuity funds needed convexity. I know you need convexity. You're hungry for convexity. You don't know how to price convexity, so you'll buy rubbish. You didn't separate the credit decision from the interest rate decision. By the way, this is the third time Mexico's issued a 100-year bond. Uh, it's adding up to $5 billion now. And they're sitting in Mexico laughing about this. They are just literally laughing. Okay. <laughs> 4% for 100 years. Unbelievable. OK, a sub, a sub point to this, credit indices are fatally, catastrophically flawed. Right? There, anybody in the world that's managing or, or managing their liabilities using any sort of credit index must be fool, foolish. Because, because it's not like equities. And an equity index kind of notionally, if, eventually, if you assume that most companies eventually grow up and get listed, well, at least an equity index, a cap weighted equity index for all its flaws, kind of represents the economy. Kinda. What, what makes up a credit index? People that borrow money. And who has the higher weight in the index? People that borrow too much money. Think about that. So yeah, fantastic. I'm sure the right poor, I don't know, Parmalat went bust or Enron went bust. They were huge components of the index. They borrowed too much. Do you understand the fatal flaw? You can't run against, you can't run funds against credit indices. So I get criticized because you're in credit funds against the all bond index, which is not a credit index. And I say, you have no, there's no alternative. Use the all-bond for duration, and then let's come with a risk-adjusted return expectation for the credit risk. So don't let anybody sell you credit indices. And as a subset subpoint to that, there's no such thing as passive credit management. It doesn't exist, right? I've had people say, we can do, um, thanks. I do have another laser pointer. Oh, you have batteries, OK. Um, my point? Oh, yes. There's no such thing as passive credit. I have people come and say, oh, Andrew, you know the fees are too high. Yeah, really? Look at the work we do. The fees are too high, we're going to go passive credit. Passive credit? That's like a, a passive stroll in the Kruger Park. Right? You're going to get eaten. There is no such thing. It doesn't exist. First of all, what index? I just told you you can't use an index. And second, I mean, if you go passive on credit, then you're going to get every piece of rubbish that exists. Sorry. Remember, the banks are working against you. They're your enemy. Uh, that's not a joke, guys. That's, don't laugh at that. That's the truth. There was a, there was a survey. I just heard it on I just heard a podcast, I think it was two days ago. I might get this precisely wrong, but generally correct. Uh, they did a survey of financial industry professionals, and 20%, maybe it was 25, in there 20%, let's say, said that they've had to, in the last year, commit an unethical or illegal act in order to succeed in their job. 20% financial professionals. Now, I know it ain't you, and I, don't, I know it ain't the CFA charter holders. Right? Who is it? It's it's the sell side. It's Wall Street. Okay, let's be frank. Okay. So, you know, you want to change the world. You want to do better. Uh, and I'm taking this line from the Church of England's investment policy. No, really, it's the Church of England's endowment investment policy. They they know that as a church, they're kind of seen as holier than thou and Perfectly clean and da da da. They don't do that. They say we have to engage the world as it is towards the goal of how we want it to be. They don't exclude everything. They engage with borrowers. Okay. So there's a, there's doing the good which we want to do: taxis and roads and houses and infrastructure, alternative lenders, and we want to avoid the bad, you know, the corrupt guys, the tobaccos and the alcohols, if we can do it. Okay. But then there's engagement in the middle, and and how you engage and how you choose to engage is quite important. So here's a good question. Talk about constructive engagement. There's a big debate going on. And this is coming in the next like, three or four months, guys. A couple of coal-fired power plants are going to be built. Coal is bad, in case you haven't twigged to that yet. <laughs> Coal is a dirty asset. Coal is polluting. Coal is it's mined in a dirty way. It has all sorts of spin-offs. Um, and yet, you know, the lights could go off any minute. In fact, I was wondering, what happens if the power goes out now? Do I not get to use slides? OK, okay. it's scary. Um, I know you're worried about your stake, your stake defrosting. I'm worried about my slides. Anyway, the point is, coal is a real conundrum for this country right now, a serious conundrum. And we actually, Future doesn't know what to do. And we're, supposedly, experts on responsible investing and developmental investing. And we are literally split the table. You ask 18 people, nine say we're going to fund coal, and nine say we won't. We haven't got an answer on this. The point is, you do have to think about these things, and judgment does have to be exercised. Because here's the reality. Coal is going to be in our lives for a long time to come. As much as we can fund alternative energy deals, and we are, I'll show you. Uh, you know, and they're at the top, at the bottom is baseload coal, and we need large baseload capacity in this country. And until the gas comes in from Mozambique, Namibia, and East Africa, we're going to be living with coal or very expensive nuclear. So what do you want me to do, exclude coal because it's the right thing to do, or fund coal because we need the power? We are doing a lot of alternative energy, and I know many of you probably are. You're seeing it in your funds uh, because this is very, you know, this is this is clearly good stuff. This is rural development, job creation, uh, industry development. By the way, because a lot of local content, it's decent yield. It's complex project finance, a lot of paperwork, but but we're we're doing a lot of these deals um, and putting to funds all un- 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 unlisted and unrated. I mean business. Thank you. Thank you. OK, talk about construct. I was still a member of my theme is five minutes. Holy mother. OK, I'll go fast. Micro lenders, I'm talking about constructive engagement, being a responsible investor now. OK, for many years we lent to the micro lenders because we felt micro lending was, was getting to the consumers the banks refused to fund. The National Credit Act, National Credit Act in 2007 equalized the playing field, so the micro lenders all became about chasing market share lending money to people who, who couldn't afford it before somebody else did, basically stuffing consumers like Thanksgiving turkeys. And we could see this developing, We could see it happening. Right? About a year before African Bank went bust, we publicly, this is unusual for an asset manager, many of you will know, you do not tell the world what you really think, right? ever, as an asset manager. We publicly came out a full year before and said, these guys are up to crap and we're not going to lend them money anymore. Actually, particularly in our developmental funds, we said it was no longer developmental, but in fact, we were cutting exposure in all of our funds. And if anybody tells you you couldn't see what was coming by good financial and ESG analysis, they're not telling you the truth or they didn't do their work. Because the fact is in 2011, we were running big exposure to African Bank, and by the time they went bust, we'd cut that materially, almost all the way down to nothing. It was doable, analysis adds value, ESG screening, Soft issue screening. Think about social impact on the consumer and sustainability. Businesses does add value. You must integrate this into your investment process. That's the headline. And yes, constructive engagement. We met with these guys. They were slightly pissed off at me. <laughs> and we, they were all in. Oh, but Andrew, we're doing good stuff. We're doing housing finance. I mean, show it to me. Prove it to me. They had no stats. They were making it up. It was voodoo. Now I've insulted the actuaries. Let's go after row. Shout it out, people. How many banks have failed or nearly, nearly failed in South Africa in the past 20 or so years? 14, good. Nobody? Eight. Eight. Nobody else? Final calls. OK. We counted 18. And if you read that list, many of you will remember those names, uh, If those of you that have been around a long time. Those of you who haven't been around a long time, get the message, banks are risky they are highly geared entities with aggressive incentive schemes in a competitive market in a cyclical environment. Right? Banks fail. My question to Francois was very relevant about what's going to happen in the future when banks fail. And I can tell you already what's going to happen. Senior debt is taking haircuts. It's game over now. If you think banks are risk-free assets and you put them in your, in your mandates as, oh, but banks are risk free, that's a core holding. We can always have 40 or 50% exposure to banks. I'm telling you, you must catch a clue. Banks have already been downgraded by the official ratings agents. And you know they're behind the curve, right? So, so the reality is, Steffi is no longer a risk-free benchmark. The only risk-free benchmark you have in money market today is treasury bills. That's a challenge for all of us, but it's also the reality of what the future is going to be. We will lose money on banks. They will fail. They have a life cycle. Okay. I've already said debt's co- debt is complex and conflicted. Where you know, uh, here's a great example. I'll tell you, here, here's one. I'm going to tell you what's going to go wrong. And I want you to all write it down so in five years' time, you'll say, you know, that Andrew Cantor was very smart. He told us this was going to happen. Okay. The, the whole property sector in South Africa is now funding in the listed bond market, the property sector. They're funding unsecured debt in the, proper, in, in the, in the public capital market. Unsecured. A lot of it's short term, by the way. So they're funding long-dated assets with short-dated liabilities, which is unsecured, but it's called senior. But who has the security? There's buildings, there's commercial buildings under there, right? Who has the buildings? The banks have the buildings, they have security. They are what is really senior debt. You're buying subordinated debt at senior debt prices with, with a fundamental asset liability mismatch. One of these things must blow up, must blow up eventually. And it's only because of the stupidity of our industry, of the buy side of this industry. Okay, the point is it's conflicted. The banks always sell us the hind tit. Ooh, am I allowed to say that? They do. That's their job. They keep the good stuff. And it's, it's globally true. Recovery rates on defaulted paper for bank loans globally always are higher than recovery rates on listed bonds. D- does somebody take a message out of that about what we're buying versus you know, and what's being sold to us? OK. I know I've got to go fast here. I've already said this about credit work. There's an assumption in the industry that, oh, well, I don't have to read the DMTN of such and such issue because I know that Future Growth did it. Or Sunlam's big. They probably have a legal department that read that. I don't have to. I can just buy the bond the bank sold to me. We do read the legals. We give feedback to the bank that's selling us to us. And we say, no, we want, we want certain covenants. We want warranties. We want a better negative pledge. And they say, oh, no, nobody else is asking for it. You can't have that. There is a flaw here, a big flaw. If we don't start working together, it's just going to keep happening. The term covenant light should be a slap in the face to everybody in this room. It should be a slap in your face. And in the meantime, for all of this work, for all this conflict, complexity, security, covenants, legals, we want, the clients still want to pay you 18 basis points, right? Or whatever, make up a number. And we're and we, in the meantime, on our side of the table, we need to get scale. We're acting like adversaries are not working cooperatively. I still see that as part of being a responsible investor who's working together. I'm going to jump over some of this. I'm getting to the end now. Sorry, I know I'm running out of time. One can also think laterally about this. We were recently approached by a pork processor. I'm sorry for the Muslims in the room. Well, in fact, I saw there was some uh, kosher food out there as well. Uh, a pork processor, and the credit committee looked at it. We looked at the financials, looked at the business, decided it was okay. But we made it a condition, a condition of the credit of the credit approval, that they treat the sows properly. Really, it was a condition. Now. As it happened, management was not adversarial to that. They actually, the manager of the business knew that the new new generation sow stalls had to be of a, of a better, uh, give more room to the sows. I don't know if you know. Every every animal in the food production system has its own torment. Um, pigs' particular torment is the sows that 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 uh, that give birth are in these crates that they can barely move in, and they have nothing to do but stand there and wiggle, and they can't they chew the bars. It's a horrible thing. They need more space, and everybody knows it. So we made it a condition. Um, uh, but on the other hand, they're, they're killed very nicely. Because why? Because it so happens if you kill a pig under stress when he's releasing cortisol, it ru- ruins the meat. It makes it inedible. So they're killed nicely. That is not their torment. But they're treated badly leading up to that. Um, similar with cows. Cows have nice lives. Cows get to walk in the field, and eat grass, get in the sunshine, uh, you know, some fresh hay. Their torment is when they're killed. Their torment is when they're in the the chute and how they're killed and not always properly killed before they start skinning them. So the point is you can think laterally about being a responsible investor. I understand that most pension fund trustees probably don't really care about this issue. But it goes to the judgment, the value judgment, how you think about your role in the world around you. And do you want animals you're eating to be treated in a way way that you would not personally treat them? Of Of course you don't. You wouldn't do it. So lateral thinking. Key points. My summary slide, I'm sure the organizers Breathing a sigh of relief. Okay. So the world has tricked you, it's tricked all of us. Bond and credit, two asset classes have been conflated. It's very important to keep those two decisions separate. You know, if the borrower needs inflation and debt, give them inflation and debt, you manage interest rate risk on this side. You know? If he needs five-year money to match his liabilities, sorry, sorry, to match his assets, give him five-year money, not 30-year money because that's your duration target. Okay? Credit industry is flawed, you can't do credit passively. Um, Responsible and fiduciary are integral to being an investor. It is not some soft issue. Diversity is necessary but not sufficient. Sorry, this is your notes. You don't have to write notes now. I've given it all to you. You must do independent credit analysis. You cannot run 20 billion rand of, of credit assets with a team of three. I'm sorry to tell you, if those of you who might be doing that. You need to have a team. You can't rely on ratings. You can't rely on the banks or the DMTNs. You can't rely on other people's legal processes to protect you. You need to do your work, and you should integrate your financial and non-financial analysis if you haven't done it already. Pricing for risk is very important. Um, The banking sector is riskier than you all think, right? This is reality we're going to be dealing with for the next few years of how to adjust our portfolios and our mandates for the shifting landscape. You must always be thinking about rates, terms, covenants, warranties, securities in all bonds, listed and unlisted, and start engaging on those. And, and, and we're not going to get this right until the buy side continues to learn more lessons. Maybe one of these property companies has to go bust, and then when we all get together at the table at deceased so we can work together. Okay? Credit is very complex. The fees are not high enough. Uh, and the only way to make that work is scale and cooperation. I will stop there. Thank you.
1: Andrew, thanks very much for a thought-provoking and challenging presentation. We've got about three to four minutes for questions.
0: Oh, if I can are use any. that time. Damn it! <laughs> any questions? Or insults? I'll take it back. It's only fair. <laughs> oh, it's okay. Just shout it. Okay, don't shout You're it.
1: Thank you. Um, I just want to find out how do you practically go about managing your interest rate decisions separately on an efficient manner, given the increased cost of cost of capital, credit charges, on, on derivatives, and managing that separately.
0: Okay. So the, the quick the quick answer is we, we have we put wide derivatives limits in credit mandates. Sorry, did you ask the question? Uh, we put wide derivatives limits in the credit mandates, so we can use whichever instrument we need to use. To affect the right interest rate positioning. Now, uh, the, the additional charges applying are to swaps, uh, and basically we've been avoiding swaps since those have come in. We do it other ways. We, either ways you could do it with options, you could do you could actually do longs and shorts. You could use futures uh, with margining. You can enter into also to avoid those um, those credit charges. You can enter into uh, um, cash margin CSAs. So it's literally daily cash margining. So you can avoid um, you can avoid the um, the other CSA charges. So that's some of the some, some of the ideas. It is doable, but we all again that's another area we all must work together on. This CSA business that the banks are stuffing down our throat is a real humors. It's really messing up the market, uh, and I think they should know it. So we're going to do yeah. So so the question is, do we how do we how do we take account of credit risk on credit derivatives as well? I've already said that we do a credit derivative, uh, a funded note. We record the credit two times the credit risk. Or, by the way, in the old days, they would sell you a package of eight potential credit risks. That was a real joy. Um, uh, luckily, those days have passed. So you record both, and you price for both. So those, that probability default table, in my scenario, I would price the PD of Standard Bank and the recovery rate and the PD of Imperial and the recovery rate. And that would go into the pricing of the credit link notes. So if they think they're going to charge me, if they they're going to give me two times the credit risk at one times the yield, then we're not going to buy the instrument, simplistically. And in fact, we don't have many credit derivatives for that reason. So you must price both.
1: Andrew, I've just got a question on the liability management side. So you said earlier, also for you, you your focus is return maximization. But from the, the actuary side and managing the annuity portfolios and so on, liability management is very important. And to me, it seems um, that the actuaries on the liability side isn't close enough to the portfolio. So I, I, I do, would you suggest actually managing these big books of liabilities actually become more involved in the investment process and see the projects and so on, especially with the long-dated energy, renewable energy, and, and those type of uh, projects coming out, which is actually a nice inflation-linked match to a Because so how, how can they actually uh, make use of these deals? Because a lot of these guys, they actually don't have the, the teams in place. So I think there's a way that that we can actually work closer with with cars with the necessary experience
0: so yeah you know obviously so so we have to work closer right you're the client i'm the asset manager i think of the all bond index as my client's liability profile but in fact you can give me any liability profile and say match the duration and convexity of that you can choose a single bond you can choose a notional bond that's exceedingly long and we're going to talk about what we can really achieve with that money so the, the problem tends to be when we don't work together and you're on your side of the table thinking, oh my God, I've got this huge convexity risk and there's no way to match it. I need to buy wow, you know, 100-year bonds. That's, that's a problem. I, as the asset manager, it's my job to say, don't do that. We have to work with what's possible and what's achievable. So, so, and it's all going to be in the mandate, right? We only manage money to mandate, which you write. You're the client. So it's that dialogue. And, and you know, I can't do your job. I don't, I don't know how to estimate your liabilities. I only know what you give me as the target. Does that kind of answer your question? appropriate thank you thank you